Good morning. Morning, Tab. Morning, Scott. How are you? Good. Good. It's good to be here this morning. Uh, yeah, we're going to be doing a sort of a tag team sort of approach to our teaching this morning. And uh, we are on a series. Uh, what I've said is a little like a mini series, three weeks. It's, it's similar to Lent in the sense of it's a time to sort of take a step back and examine one's heart. But what we're talking about here as well is the heart of our local faith community, um, the Cambridge Vineyard, and just asking God, inviting God to come in and to search our hearts. To, we, you know, this is, a, this is an opportune time. And that's one of the, what's one of the things the uh, pandemic going through this we have been able to do is to take a step back and take a look with God at where are things at? What do you see, God? Show us. Show us what's in your heart. So that's what we're going to do. So we're going to be sharing times back and forth. Uh, Tab was a vital part of this. And um, so it was natural that she would come and she would share with me. Because otherwise, you'd only be hearing half of it. And that wouldn't be right. So, with that in mind, I want to begin today with, like, last week we talked about the whole thing of God coming to search our hearts, and what does that mean, and, and walking with God through that whole journey. Today we wanted to share with you, we want to begin to unpack some of the things that the Lord has been showing us. So it'll be almost like a two-part in the sense that it'll be this week and also next week, some of the things, what, how we are going to respond to what God has shown us. So it's uh, been quite a journey. We're still on the journey, and the journey continues for a long time. So, but it's a fascinating one at the same time. And I want to begin today with just uh, an illustration to, so that you sort of understand what we were going through, but also what you yourself need to experience and take time to ask yourself with God some pertinent questions. Uh, in my former career as a police officer, I spent nine years as the community services officer. And the community services officer, it was a dream job in the sense, it, straight days, weekends off. And I had eight public schools that I uh, serviced, and I was able to teach the kids about safety and stuff like that. But one of the particular programs that we had was called Values, Influences, and Peers. And I taught that with the teachers. And uh, it was a 12-week program that we did with grade six students. One of the classes we did, we had a challenge for them. It was in, took place in the gymnasium. And the challenge was they were going to be divided up into groups of usually six kids per group. And the, before them, they were going to take, hop on a boat, imaginary boat, <laughs> and they were going to cross a body of water to another, either to an island or to the other side of the river. And uh, the first thing they had to do as a group was we gave them a list of 50 essential items that would be needed on that wherever they landed. However, the challenge was they were only allowed to take 10 of those essential items. And that posed a problem for them because now they had to figure out what are we going to take. And what was interesting is um, one of the things we'd have on the list there would be like a case of chocolate bars. 
And of course, somebody in the group would generally say, you know, we need to take that because, and they, they could rationalize why they should take the chocolate bars. But what was, in, what was really interesting was at some point, because they realized they would need things like a first aid kit or a hammer or an axe or, you know, whatever. They knew that they needed these things. And usually they would cut, get it down to like 12, 13 items. And eventually somebody would have to say, we can't take the chocolate bars. <laughs> and so they would have to make that painful decision of, okay, we can't take those. But what it taught them was how to drill down into what are the essentials, the core essentials. Because you can say everything is, but there's some core stuff that they had to, they had to work through and do it together. And it was an interesting exercise that essentials matter. So both Tab and I, we, uh, we had this nudge from the Holy Spirit that we needed to search the heart of Cambridge Vineyard. And in the latter part of November, we embarked on a two-month journey. And we did this with the help of a book that was called Necessary Endings. It's by Dr. Henry Cloud. You may know him from the book Boundaries. He did that with Dr. Townsend. But he wrote this himself, and his audience was corporations and organizations. And his point was recognizing that everything has a season, uh, that all seasons end, and in order to recognize an ending, you need, we need to know our why, those core elements, why we exist, why you exist. One of his key analogies was uh, pruning that is an intentional, pruning is about being intentional and about having a purpose for health of the organization. And the reason farmers do it is for health of the plant, for fruit, so that there's abundance of fruit. And so in this, Tab and I assumed the posture of Psalm 139. We referenced this last week where David writes this psalm and he bookends it with this whole thing of inviting God to search my heart. And at the end, he says these words, search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you. And lead me along the path of everlasting life. Here, here was something that was really interesting. About midway through this, maybe it was even sooner, Tab had this brilliant observation that clearly the Holy Spirit was a part of this because <laughs> we were agreeing on things that the Holy Spirit was showing us, which shouldn't happen because we have different perspectives on things and we see things differently. And it was true. And that continued all down through the, the, the two months that we went through, right? That just, we are, we're going, yeah, 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 that's right. That's exactly right, right? And it was just, it was a strong indication that God was leading this, that it wasn't, it wasn't us. <laughs> this was God's idea and inviting us into it. And so last, throughout the month of February, we also uh, took the leaders through this, and uh, it's been an interesting journey. And then we came to this question, and I'll, I'm going to give this over to Tab, and she's going to just share with us some of the insights. So the question that we were asked was, what is the one indispensable thing? And as Scott and I prayerfully considered this before the Lord, 
we came to the realization that when you peeled everything back, there was one thing that was absolutely necessary because it was the only thing that would endure. And that was intimacy with the Lord. In fact, that scripture came up where, you know, Jesus is talking and he says, you know, many will come to me and say, you know, I did this in your name. I did that in your name. You know, all these wonderful ministry type things, including healing and prophecy. And Jesus turns to them and says, you know, I I don't know you. And um, it was like, oh, wow, this one thing, the one thing that is so important is to be known and to know Jesus, right? Which then got us into talking about our own personal experiences with the intimacy of the Lord and what did that look like? So, Scott, why don't you tell the people about your intimate encounters? Yeah, so one of the things I, you know, I just reflected back on my whole life starting right from 1977 when I, and that's really when I actually became a follower of Jesus. And just all through my, through the past number of decades, it's what has been pivotal for me has been this whole thing of, that I've just known that Jesus is my friend, my best friend that I can walk with, uh, share everything with. And I've never been shamed by Jesus, never felt condemned at all. Jesus is that safe place where I can go. And that is the one thing for me personally that has been pivotal. That is what I anchor to. That's the one, that'd be number one on my list of essentials (laughs) right there. That'd be that one thing. For myself, um, growing up as a little girl, I would say I was always infatuated with Jesus. More like uh, a teenage girl would be infatuated with a popular boy band or something. You know, I I was drawn to him. And as I gave my life to the Lord at 16, I, and you guys have heard that story before, but it was an awareness that... um, I was responsible for the condition of my heart and that I was aware that I was lacking to save it from hatred, from um, offense, from all of this stuff and recognizing that he was the only one who could help me keep it soft. But then it wasn't till much later when I was in my 30s that, well, I got quite ill. And some of you know this, some of you don't. But I started to experience symptoms and went through CT scans and MRIs to discover that I have plaque on my brain and MS runs in my family. And so the doctor said to me, you know, Tab, you're most likely, this is, you're developing MS. And to which I said, no way. And I poo-pooed that until one night, sitting in bed watching a movie with Jeff, I started to feel some funky tingling on my leg. And by the time the movie was done, I could not move. And it started a process of literally rolling off my bed onto the floor and laying there. At this point, it wasn't about what I could do. Hmm. Yeah. 
It wasn't about how much I read my Bible. It wasn't about how well I sang on the worship team. It wasn't how, about how well I ministered. At this point, this is where I would say intimacy was cultivated with Jesus. And in that process of three months of not being able to move and my mom coming to my house every day to help me with my children, the Holy Spirit came so close to me that it wrecked me for life. I encountered a depth of intimacy with Jesus that I didn't want to leave it. And yet it was in those spaces and places of not being able to physically move and the sweet presence of the Lord so close that I began to grow and mature in my faith. It's where I really, truly began to understand the still, small voice of the Lord and began to understand even his touch. Quick story. Some of you know this, um, if you belong to our church, but you will know that my grandmother just passed away on Wednesday. And um, we went through a whole process of trying to get into the hospital, and only four people could get in. On uh, the Saturday night prior to her death, I was finally allowed as the fourth person into the room. When I walked into the room, she was sleeping. And I quietly went over, and I just put my hand underneath her hand, and I began to caress her. About five minutes into just doing this, with her eyes closed, she says to me, it's Tabby. And I said, yes, Vava, it is. She goes, I knew it. I know your touch. And intimacy with the Lord allows him to touch us in a way that we know that gentleness, but also for us to touch him in a way that without even words, he is familiar with our presence. So when we thought about how important this was to our own individual experience and our own walks with Christ, the intimacy and how it is the place we long for, you know, we then turn to reflect upon the church and the Cambridge Vineyard, the Vineyard movement mm-hmm. as a whole. And we started having conversations. And it led us to a conversation of renewal. So, Scott, why don't you start first by sharing your perspective? For, for myself, I grew up and, and at the time was attending um, a conservative evangelical church. And what had been going on through the church in the 70s and even in the 80s, but there was just this, this movement of the Holy Spirit that was just taking place. But what I, what I was noticing is more and more people having this hunger for more of Jesus. That's all you could describe it as, this hunger. They wanted, there was something they wanted. When we stumbled upon the vineyard, and I came, I remember coming for the first time here at the Cambridge Vineyard in 94, it was like this room full of people who were, had the same hunger for Jesus. And in the vineyard, what I noticed was just, it was not just people from the evangelical, but from the Pentecostal, from uh, Anglican, from Catholic, who had this longing in their heart for the presence. We all wanted the presence of Jesus. And 
It was more than the music that was played. It was more than the ministries done. It was this hunger for Jesus's presence. That was key. That was pivotal for us. That was pivotal for me. And we, we found it. Well, some of you may know that I had the privilege of being a part, Jeff and I, of being a part of the Toronto Airport Christian Fellowship prior to renewal. And as we talked about this longing, I shared with Scott's story on the back end. So it started with John and Carol, Jeremy and Connie, it started with Brian West and his wife. It started with um, John and Donna Adams. It was all of the staff, uh, even the secretary, because Donna was a secretary at that time. And every week they set aside, and if I recall correctly, I believe it was Mondays, Monday mornings, and they started coming together to pray together and just worship together and cultivate this cry for more. What happened was over the, the diligent process of being faithful to this time commitment that they had made, that hunger and thirst and desire began to grow within all of the staff, you know, and, and then the support staff. So much so that the teachings began to change. And on top of that, you could see that the leadership was leaning in and desiring such a nearness with God that it began to bleed down and leak, leak into the congregation. So much so that before that day when Randy came and renewal started, things were beginning already to manifest in the youth with Brian you know, the youth started crying out for more in the congregation. Our singing took a different form. Our posture was different. And you would walk into that space and you couldn't help but cry. It was a very tender uh, embrace, I guess, uh, yeah. and preparation of our own spirit, souls, hearts, yeah. and bodies. So... Intimacy, we discovered, has got to be the indispensable thing. That it now has to be our goal. Yeah, well, I found too as well that one of the things that stood out for me was the songs we would sing. Majority of them (laughs) were basically prayers put to music. They were like love songs to Jesus. It was this... Cry of people's hearts being able to go out in music. Well, that was one of the things I also noticed too, as well. Just there was this room made within the service, although there was structure, there was room for the Holy Spirit to move and minister to to us. There was just this, there was like this um, engagement, this dovetailing of the Holy Spirit and the people as they came together. It was amazing for me. It was amazing. It was like, wow. You know, and it was almost like this is what my heart has been longing for, right? And it was it was interesting. And as a vineyard movement, that is the one thing that we, as a vineyard movement, were known for across the globe. And it, you know, we talked about um, Scott how even just yesterday, how um, the Holy Spirit of the Lord said to uh, John Wimber, you know, I've seen your ministry. Can I show you mine? 
And it became a ministry of ministry to the Lord, the heart of the Lord, Mm -hmm. to his emotions, and therefore into other people. Basically, it turned us around back to the first and second commandment. Yeah. Yeah, it was, yeah, it was, and you know, as I've, as I've said, and I've said it to the leaders as well, um, intimacy with Jesus is core to who we are. It's why we exist. It's why we do what we do, or at least it should be. It should, it should be the center point, right? There is no other reason for our existence at the, at the end of the day. That was one of the things that just sent strong from the Holy Spirit. That that is the essential, that is the core thing, what you have to always be about. You know, I was just like, that's right. That is absolutely the thing. And even today, as, as I'm sharing, I, I, it's just, yep. <laughs> There's like, absolutely, I'm even more adamant about that. Just absolutely. So... The implications of discovering this is that everything that we do now has to um, go through the lens of intimacy. And I put it like this. If you put on your glasses, right, it changes the way you look. So if you've got tinted lenses, everything's going to be tinted. Well, our lenses need to be tinted with intimacy, And so we are going to embark on a journey. We don't have all the details yet, but we're going to embark on a journey of putting this lens on and not taking it off, whereby everything that we do, um, everything we put our hand to, how we function as a leadership team, how we're going to function even in this space and with each other, is got to go through this lens of intimacy and ask the question, does this draw us into intimacy with the Lord, and does it draw us into intimacy with each other? Mm -hmm. And so mm-hmm. that is the journey that we are going to be embarking upon. And some of that has already taken place. Um, we noticed that we were a church of doers. Christine put it so apropos. You know, we were the Marthas. And we were moving and literally going through to-do lists. And we, just, we also acknowledge that this is going to be the hardest habit to break to become Mary's. Well, the other thing, too, that I, you know, for, for myself, is that this, this, this was everything, even in our meetings. Let's get to the agenda. And this is what it was. This was one of those difficult things to come to the realization, yet at the same time we felt the gentleness of Jesus as well, just showing. This slowly happened over time. It was a slow shift that had taken place. It's true. And our eyes got off of... Yeah. Our lover yeah. and yeah. each other in order to accomplish task. And yeah. we realize that. And and you know, we are we are about facing, we are turning around, and so even now in our meetings, we are making space and time to welcome the Holy Spirit and pray, even when it's a Sunday planning meeting. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's just three of us. We, I see that clap, Helen. We are, we are wanting to move out of the heart of the Father. Right, absolutely. And that brought us to that It passage. did. You got it up there? Go ahead. Okay, well, here, I'm going to read it from here because I don't have my yep. glasses on. So 
in this process, it brought us to this passage that we really felt very strongly. The Lord mm-hmm. was saying, this, this is who you are. And you'll find it in Revelation 3, verses 2 to 6. I know all the things you do. I have seen your hard work and your patient endurance. I know you don't tolerate evil people. You have examined the claims of those who say that they are apostles but are not. You have discovered they are liars. You have patiently suffered for me without quitting. But I have this complaint against you. You don't love me or each other as you did at first. Look how far you have fallen. Turn back to me and do the works you did at first. If you don't repent, I will come and remove your lampstand from its place amongst the churches. But this is in your favor. You have hated the evil deeds of the Nicolaitans just as I do. And we heard very clearly, it's, it was very weighty, <laughs> you know, when we heard, oh my goodness, and we really felt like the Lord was gently saying, turn around, come back to me, yeah. or come back to the bridal chamber, to the yeah. love encounter with me, or, or you will lose your place. You know, it also makes me think about Paul's letter, what we call 1 Corinthians, and he really commends the Corinthians right at the beginning of this letter about all the, the good work they do, some of their, their teachings and all that stuff, their faithfulness, everything, great. But in the, near the middle, well, of course, in around chapter 12, 13, Paul has to remind them that you can have all the gifts, you can have every gift. In fact, you can do the most miraculous thing in the world, right? You can be the most sacrificial person, you can, right? You can do all this, but if you don't have love, Nothing. It's, it's nothing, right? And what we, what we just strongly sense from the Holy Spirit is this is key central. This is, this never moves, never moves, never moves. That's what, you know, we call it our non-negotiable. It's the hill we're going to die on. <laughs> right. This, this, this is a hill you will die on. This is something you will die on. And, and one of the other passages that spoke to us as well was uh, Psalm 45. And Psalm 45, I'm not going to read the whole thing to you, but Psalm 45 is written by David, and I, I think maybe not. We don't know. But Psalm 45, it's what it's like, and probably a good analogy, it's like the best man at a wedding who stands up and points to the groom and just a you know, wonderful guy he is and points to the bride, what a wonderful gal she is. And, and in Psalm 45, it's like this best man has stood up and these beautiful words. And you know, to, to Jesus, talking about Jesus, that's what almost what it sounds like. He says, and this is a sample, you are the most handsome of all. Gracious words stream from your lips. God himself has blessed you forever. Those are the kind of words that come out. But what's interesting is down, further down in that psalm, it's like he turns to the, the bride, the church, and he says, listen to me, O royal daughter, take to heart what I say. Forget your people and your family far away, for your royal husband delights in your beauty. Honor him, for he is your Lord. Those are just samples of, of what comes from that psalm, and it's just, it's this pointing of the bride to, the, to Jesus, right? The church to Jesus, just this oneness, this, and again, intimacy. It's intimacy, right? 
And we do feel the, the call of the Holy Spirit, the Lord, his heart is desirous of our attention and our affections. But also, you know, the thing I love about how the Lord works is that when he's doing something, he does it across his whole body. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't matter where you look right now. The church is hearing this call, and it is a call to return. Return to me. And that gives us great comfort that we are hearing the heart of the Father call us back, the heart of the lover wooing us to turn again. And we are resting in the fact that he does delight in us, despite the fact that we lost sight of the important thing. Yeah, and then there was that other, you know, from John's gospel, eh? Yes, and so one of the things that Scott mentioned is this unity that we encountered, which was like, you know, I don't know about you, but sometimes even in my own family, we don't agree on what's for dinner, right? (laughs) Never mind agreeing on every single thing that we were encountering. That was like, oh, wow. And... I'll say this, uh, it was in the fall of 2020 that I heard the Lord say to me in the middle of the night, um, I had a dream, and I had a dream that we were all linking arms, like elbow to elbow and like this, and we were just linking, all of us, and he said to me, he said, you are now entering the season of unity, Hmm. and right away, we fall into this encounter of necessary endings and the unity. But then when we were presenting what we had gotten from the Lord to different people in leadership, the different levels over the whole month of February, I was looking for confirmation. Lord, is this resonating? And it began to resonate in in the people we were talking to. And the feedback was you know, very encouraging. So I could tell that the Lord was massaging something. And we believe that even now, as we share this with you, that this is resonating with your spirit as well. And so one of the key verses that stood out to us was Jesus's prayer in John 17, verses 20 to 24. And it reads like this. I am praying not only for these disciples, but also for all who will ever believe in me through their message. I pray that they will all be one, just as you and I are one. As you are in me, Father, and I am in you. And may they be in us so that the world will believe you sent me. I have given them the glory you gave me so they may be one as we are one. I am in them and you are in me. May they experience such perfect unity that the world will know that you sent me and that you love them as much as you love me. Father, I want these whom you have given me to be with me where I am then they can see all the glory you gave me because you love me even before the world began. Oh, see, Krista, the Holy Spirit's on her right now, and she is 
Mm-hmm. You can't see it, but she is just being wrapped by the Holy mm-hmm. Spirit right now. Mm-hmm. He has heard the prayers of your heart. And he is calling us to unity. There is a space and a place for each and every one of us as we lock arms. Absolutely. And, you know, I was saying to Tab that I want to be, don't we want to be the the answer to Jesus' prayer? (laughs) Right? He prayed that. And and, and that's what we want. And, And you see even Jesus' longing for the church, for his followers to be one. He invites us into the Trinity to be one with the, with the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, right? To have this, to be one. It's not us and them. It's one together in this longing. And I, and I want to be that. I want the church to be that. We do. Right? That's, so, and here I just want to share something that this isn't new. This isn't something new that's just, you know, finally the church has come to the realization that this is the important thing. Most of you who have been around for a while know that there's myself, many of our leaders, we, have, we engage in a uh, spiritual exercise from the Ignatian spiritual exercises. And uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a long journey for me. It was very pivotal in my faith. But what was the essential element of it was this intimacy that it brought with myself and with Jesus. It was, it was a powerful thing. And the reason I, I'm saying all that is because... So Ignatius was back in the 15th century, <laughs> right? Back before the Reformation, before the Reformation started. And Ignatius, here, here's some notes from not what he wrote, but what has been spoken about, what's called in the spiritual exercises, the principle and foundation. In other words, the core of the whole exercise is what the core is. I'm going to read to you just some things. Um, they write, The spiritual exercises are a call to freedom. It is not freedom from something or someone, but freedom for loving God before all and loving our neighbors as ourselves. That's in the notes. That that, this is the core. And then the actual principle and foundation, what it does say, and this has been put into contemporary language because it was written in the 15th century. Here's some words that it says. The goal of our life is to live with God forever. God gave us life because he loves us. Our own response of love allows God's life to flow into us without limit. It then goes on to say that all the things of this world are gifts of God, presented to us so that we can know God more easily and make a return of love to God more readily. It continues, as a result, we appreciate and use all these gifts of God insofar as they help us develop as loving persons. But if any of these gifts become the center of our lives, they displace God and so hinder our growth towards our goal. And then it concludes with these words here. Our only desire and our one choice should be this. I want and I choose what better leads to God's deepening his life in me. 
Look, this has been the core understanding of the church from when Christ, before he ascended, told his disciples, his followers, I want you to go into the world and I want you to make disciples. I want you to preach the good news, right? And it's this longing of the Father to bring, create. it's that whole beginning of the restoration, everything coming back the way it was always intended to be, right? And here's, here's, here's the thing, guys, that you know, as Tab and I have talked, and the Lord has been speaking to me about this for a number of years now. But you know how I said at the beginning how the one thing that stood out in the, when, when, I, when we, our first Sunday at Vineyard was this longing for the presence of Jesus, right? That, that was like Jesus was at the center, right, of everything. There was this hunger, this longing. We, I don't know which camera to speak to, but I'll speak to this one right here, okay? Look, guys, we came onto this property with good intentions. Do I believe God wanted us to be on this property? Absolutely. But even as I'm talking right now, I know beyond any shadow of a doubt, I know, that our attention shifted from Jesus being the center, and I want you to hear me, to the property being really important to us. It's what, it's, it's what Ignatian wrote there in his thing, that if they, if they distract us from God being the center, being our center love, our most important thing, more than the property, more than the buildings, more than anything, has to be. Then we, then we, then we let that go. Like it's, we, we let it go. Like it's, it, it, nothing can get in the way. Nothing. It is the core essential. Our relationship with Jesus, our love relationship, is the core essential thing. And for myself... Because we're all part of this, right? We're all we're all part of this, and I don't. And again, I don't. When 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 Jesus talks to me about this tab, it's not. I don't feel condemnation. I don't feel shame. I don't feel anything. I just. I just. All I feel is Jesus saying, "Okay, just you know, good. <laughs> walk this way. Just walk this way. Let it go." And it's just a sense of, I want the the main thing to be the main thing. Everything else we have are gifts from God, but they are solely for the purpose so that if, as long as it helps me to love God more, that my, my attention, my everything goes towards Jesus. And so that's, you know, our desire. That's what we want for our desire. At the end of the day, when all is said and all is done, we want to have that oneness with Jesus, that oneness. That's what we want to be known for. We want to be known as friends of Jesus, lovers of Jesus. That's what I want people to know. Us by. Oh, they're those people. <laughs> that's, that's what I want for our distinguishing mark. You know, part of me even, you know, you know and this isn't in the notes or anything, but part of me, you know, makes me think of the whole thing, that how the temple in Jesus' time was such a prominent mm-hmm. place, Right? And Jesus said, gosh, this thing's going to tear down and be torn down, right? Mm-hmm. 
And Jesus was pointing again. It was this oneness he had with the Father that he wanted for all people. To have this oneness, this intimacy with Jesus that is so essential. So essential. Makes me think of that Samaritan woman at the well where he goes and he announces who he is for the very first time. You know, and his saying, there comes a time, there's coming a time, and it is even now, you know, where it will neither be at, on this hill or at the temple, but you will worship the mm-hmm. Lord in spirit mm-hmm. and in truth, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And in truth. Yeah. No, and so we, we are drawing, we are in the pursuit of authentic intimacy with Jesus, that is what we are headed towards. We don't know what it's all going to look like. We're going to be having some meetings with regards to our Sunday services. How's that going to shift? You may have seen that there's been some small incremental changes already, and, and we are on the pursuit of oneness, both with the Lord and with each other. Yeah, because, you know, at the end of the day... When you, when you have developed that intimate relationship with Jesus, it's the thing that will anchor you. It is that deep root. It is that being the great oaks, right? And nothing can shake you. Nothing can shake you. I was saying to Tab yesterday, everything can be taken. We can lose anything that we have, right? Anything. What nobody can take from me is my relationship with Jesus. Nobody can take that. Nobody can take that intimate relationship I have with. Everything else can go. You can take it. You can't take that. You can't touch it. You can't touch it. And that's what we want. That's the gold. And we're we're going to continue this next week because the question becomes, with this love that we've encountered with Jesus, then we want to live our lives in response to that love. And how does that begin to look for us? We want our lives to be a response to that. Mm -hmm. We're going to go into worship for a little bit. They're going to sing this. They're going to break. Then we're going to do communion together. Can I make just one side note? Absolutely. One side note. You know, Tab has said a couple times now, we don't know what all this is going to look like. When Jesus commissioned his disciples to go into all the world, they didn't have a clue what it was to look like. And Jesus didn't tell them. He didn't have a plan. He didn't show them a plan. What Jesus did say is, and remember, I will be with you always. Don't need the plan. We need Jesus. Plan will come, but we need Jesus. Reminds me of this scripture in the Song of Songs where You know, the lover comes and knocks on the door, but she's tired, she's sleepy, and doesn't want to get up. She's in her pajamas. And then all of a sudden she realizes, oh my goodness, that was my lover. So she quickly, abruptly gets up in her pajamas and opens the door, and he's not there. And she goes through the street, you know, have you seen my beloved? Have you seen my beloved? And as the story unfolds, eventually you find that The women, the people of Jerusalem, they're watching as here he comes and he's carrying her out of the wilderness. Mm. And the Mm. response is, who is this? 
coming out of the wilderness, you know, as she leans in and just is embraced by his caress. I I think of, you know, there's a, a tradition when people get married and, you know, my daughter's getting married in two weeks. And one of the traditions is the groom usually sweeps up his bride and carries her over the threshold, mm. right? He carries the bride out of, over the threshold of the wilderness. And it may have seemed for a while like it's been dry. It's been a wilderness. It's been hard slugging. We have worked really hard to do what is right. But now it's time to allow ourselves to be carried the rest of the way. In a lover's embrace. Oh.